On today's Cana Connection podcast, our host Rob Cranston talks with co-authors Britt Lee Brown, Renee Carlucci, and Sarah Stewart about the consequences of bias, an article they wrote for the Moore's Phalanx magazine. So without further ado, let's hop into the show. Welcome to the podcast. Today is, it is a new year and I am uh, I'm just pumped. Um, this is our first podcast of the year and boy, so excited to welcome our guests today who are leaders in the advancement of analytics, more specifically women leaders in analytics that are paving the way to increase visibility, influence and conversation of women making this huge impact and this ongoing growth in the uh, multi-markets of analytics space. So not just federal DOD analytic research development application, but across all markets. So Please welcome our three guests today. Today, we've got Brittley Brown, an Ops Research Analyst at Marine Corps uh, Programs and Resources, Sarah Stewart, an Ops Research and Systems Analyst at Center for Army Analysis, and my esteemed colleague, Renee Carlucci at Kane Advisors, who's a Principal Operations Research Analyst. So, Brittley, we'll start with you. So, I'm a Marine Corps analyst. I started out my career working for a contractor, um, Northrop Grumman, and I've kind of moved my way around the Marine Corps over the years, looking at capabilities, modeling, and simulation. And then, most recently, I'm working on um, at PNR, uh, looking at the um, POM process, budgeting and execution, and all that stuff. Okay, great. Thanks. Sarah? Hello, I'm Sarah Stewart. I am a operations research analyst at the Center for Army Analysis. Um, I've spent a good amount of my career in a couple different positions within CAA. I did a couple uh, rotations to Afghanistan. I did a a two-year stint at the Pentagon in headquarters, Department of the Army, um, G357 Force Management. I was doing a total Army analysis there. And then I've spent some time in our campaign analysis division within CAA doing uh, future scenario and operation plan war game modeling. Um, But I've spent the bulk of my career at CAA doing um, resource analysis within that division. It's where I am currently. And I'm doing, right now I'm working on a lot of cost modeling and um, stationing and installation analysis for the Army. Thanks, Sarah. Renee, why don't you round us out? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Renee Carlucci. As Rob mentioned, I'm a principal operations research analyst at Cana. I, my career before Kano was split as a civilian analyst for both the Army and the Marine Corps. Um, so I had a pretty cool career, federal career, deployed to Iraq. I had a couple tours in the Pentagon um, and did a wide variety of types of analyses there. And at Kano, I'm having fun supporting the Marine Corps again and building web applications that are going to go on the cloud. That's it for me. Awesome. Thank you guys very much. Exciting times across so many different domains of uh, ops research and analytics. Um, And I'm excited to dig into this with you guys. And that is um, with this focus today being a discussion on back in September of last year within the Military Operations Research Society, their 2020 issue of the journal publication Phalanx, you guys wrote an article titled The Consequence of Bias. We live in a world designed for men, the three of you co-authored. Uh, but we're also in, through these in this discussion with uh, the unconscious biases and challenges facing women really in that ops research analytics field today. And then really in that parenthetical breaking barriers. But first, this is really cool for the audience. This is this started back in 2019. Brittley, Sarah, and, and Renee went down the road in, in design and, and developing and, and co-lead led the Women in Moore's Community of Practice. So let's start with this. And Sarah, let's start with you. Tell us about the Women in Wars Committee of Practice. Yeah, so as you mentioned, it, it started, I'd say, unofficially a couple of years ago. Um, 
Britley, Renee, and I, I think Britney, Britley reached out to Renee and then Renee put um, the three of us in touch and we were just kind of commiserating about some of the ongoing issues that we'd been facing in our career, specifically as women in, in this career field. And, you know, the more we talked, we, we had started saying, well, we kind of want to write a paper um, focusing on some analysis, you know, looking at the demographics of women in the OR field and some of the, to highlight, you know, our, how our demographics, the promotions, um, how we are in the field. And so we started with that thought and then, and then it kind of, the more we talked, we realized we wanted to create a community where, you know, we could have a forum for communication, collaboration. We could highlight the contributions of of our fellow women in the OR field, um, and then provide analysis like the the initial article that we had decided we might we wanted to write about, so that we could provide an as you know a, a place for women in the OR field to have some support. And as as the more we talked, you know, we met in person at the Military Operations Research Society's annual symposium a couple years ago and, reali- and realized that we wanted to make this a more formal community of practice is what it's called. So officially this past summer, uh, June 2020 at that is when we started our uh, Women and Moors community of practice. And we focused on, we're focusing on four pillars is what, what we're calling them. So mentoring, we want to provide a junior, senior, mid-level career women, um, peer-to-peer and junior-senior mentoring and networking and support. So if we can do, we offer quarterly mentoring or monthly mentoring, but we also wanted to stress that we're there if there's something that comes up, kind of ad hoc um, mentoring. So we want to do that. And then the, our second pillar is highlighting trailblazing women past and present in the OR field. So there's a bunch of you know historical um, women that have contributed greatly to our field. And we wanted to highlight those so that their achievements could be recognized and remembered and celebrated. And then we wanted to also provide a forum to do that for our current women, both senior, junior, whatever level that you are in your career that you are currently. And, you know, again, celebrate those women that are that are currently making a difference in the field. And then our third um, pillar is what we kind of mostly focus on in our um, quarterly community practice meetings, which is professional development. And so we pick a topic that that we think is of interest to the community. We've sent out surveys and gotten some feedback on some topics that the community is interested in. And, and we put together um, a, some sort of tutorial for professional development. And then our, our final pillar is analysis. And this is, again, this is what kind of kicked off the community a, a couple years ago was our desire to do some analysis in the field, but focusing on, you know, what challenges, something that is affecting women in the OR field. And so that's, um, we've published two articles in the Moore's Phalanx uh, magazine, and then we've got a third that we're working on. So we, our goal is to continue to publish articles on analysis quarterly, as well as um, also in the phalanx, going back to our, our second pillar of highlighting the trailblazing women, we're trying to publish a, a piece on that so that, that they can be recognized in the magazine as well. That's fabulous. It really is. And I, so how many members in, do you guys have in that community of practice or what, what's called the COP, right? The- COP, yeah. Last time we checked, I think we had over 150. Uh, I don't know, Renee, really, if you know if that number is different, but pretty good amount. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so how do you guys break down or distill, maybe filter specific to that that analysis and probably tie the topics of community of interest? How do you get down to how you select those particular uh, topics? Well, um, our first topic we wanted to for analysis was just kind of looking at 
what's the the state of the women in the OR community and we focused on demographics. And so then after that, some of these the other topics just kind of fell out naturally. Our confronting bias article, we came across that after doing some of our own research. And, and I think that's a question that Britley's probably going to answer. So I won't steal her thunder on that. But some of the professional development tutorials and whatnot that we're providing, those have come from surveying the community and trying to figure out, you know, from their point of view, what are they most interested in? And so we've you know, made a list of those and, and we're starting off with those that ranked highest is, is how we've done that. Gotcha. That's great. Great. Okay. So here you've got this, this community of practice moving down the, the track. Is, is it getting in the community, not just within Moore's, but also the broader community of, of, of analytics practitioners? Um, pretty good traction. Let's start with that question. And then conversely, is there, has there been any or what would you identify as, as barriers? Yeah, I think your first question is, are we getting traction? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, We've been highlighted um, in Moore's um, in the board meetings. We've been called out, um, so I know various board members are aware. And, and obviously, there's newsletters and, and emails that go out to the entire Moore's community. But then Moore's has um, a program of these Moore's talks that they do. And right. uh, Brittley, Renee, and I were highlighted on one of those. Back in September, I believe, we were the, the guest speakers for a Moore's talk where we talked about our community and, and more broadly, just uh, you know our careers and issues and, and whatnot that we faced in our careers and advice that we have. So that was that first question. Gotcha. Yeah. And then second part of it, you had any pushback or barriers as you guys have started as, as the cop has evolved? You know, I don't think we've had any pushback. I'd say the only barrier, the challenge, the biggest challenge, and I, and I think it would be the same no matter what the topic of the community mm-hmm. practice would be, is just you're starting something brand new and we think it's a great um community and we think we have a lot to offer and we think there's a lot of people out there that are interested and can really benefit, but it's how do we reach them? How do we maximize advertising and, and make sure that, that people know that this community exists? So it's hard when it's brand new to, to get the word out, to get people interested, to get people to realize that this is useful, a useful hour and a half, two hours of their time during the workday. So, you know, how do we, how do we do that? And, and I think we've been successful so far, um, considering we've only had a, a few meetings but yeah, we're always, I know we're always looking for ways to increase the visibility of this community because I really do think we have a lot to offer and we've put a lot into it. And I know we're very motivated to make sure that it's successful. Are you guys reaching across? And that's all, because this is really interesting. And I, for everybody, again, I, this subject of in reaching across women in other communities of practice in other disciplines or, or professional societies. Have you guys, have you guys breached that or is that kind of, uh, you know, you know is it an ongoing type of relationship potentially? You know, I don't believe that we have, and I won't, I guess I won't speak for Renee and Britley if they, if I'm misspeaking, but you know, that's a really great idea. There's other OR um, communities out there in professional societies. And, and that's probably something that we should look into. Well, I would just add that we do have some members that are also members of women in engineering. And so I think we're going to get a, some cross-pollinization that way, as some of our members are in other groups and we can share uh, information. Certainly, we had a great panel at our second COP meeting that was provided by the women from Lockheed Martin. Mm. And they had mm-hmm. presented a special panel for the women in engineering. And then one of our members said, hey, they, that would be perfect for your community of practice. And so they came and spoke at ours and it was uh, a really great addition. And another thing I wanted to mention was I've received feedback from some senior leaders in DOD who have read our articles 
So I think that's really important. If we're able to reach leaders mm-hmm. and make a difference that way. Yeah, Renee, great points. And that brings us up to the article. Britley, the inspiration behind uh, the article, and, and let me just go back, the article being co-authored by the three of you titled The Consequence of Bias We Live in a World Designed for Math. Give us the inspiration that. I think Sarah started touching on it when she introduced the COP, um, which is kind of, you know, we were all kind of talking about our own individual workplace experiences and how do we kind of talk to some of those. And so part of it is our job as analysts is to inform decision making. So for me as an analyst, it, you know, people don't come out and say they're biased. It, it's kind of something you'd get hints at. So I would go ask leaders questions on my own career growth and progression. And there was really a lack of clear answers, just vague comments about work on communication with no specific background. And there's a lot of research and things I've done on the other end um, in these areas. So it was frustrating to me as an analyst to kind of get these hints that my leaders might be biased, but it's hard to prove. But also we are here informing decisions. So um, this book Sarah had recommended about, it's called Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. So part of the problem too, for us as analysts, if women are underrepresented in the analytic field, that then affects decision-making down the line. You're missing perspectives. And so are, are we really as an analytic community, providing uh, the best informed decisions if we're not looking for accountability in our own community to address these biases. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for that. And Renee, in the article, there are four main types of unconscious biases that you guys describe. Can you talk us through those? Sure. So, you know, as Bradley mentioned, you know, she had done a lot of research. And so as a community, we started to do more research. And it's funny, the other thing that was happening was a lot of changes going on in DOD where they were recognizing bias. You know, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs talked about changing uh, how promotion panels were being done for service members, you know, stripping the names off. I think we've all heard about studies where you can uh, change the name on a resume and get different responses. Or you know, so what can happen is these unconscious biases will result in like the uneven sharing of enhancing critical career enhancing opportunities. And, you know, studies have shown that women and other minorities are disproportionately getting less access to those types of opportunities and it'll affect their ability to get promoted and advance in their careers. And people in positions of power or influence might not even realize that they're doing that. And, you know, just to cut to the chase, even women will be biased against other women without even realizing it. There's been plenty of studies on that. And affinity bias is the biggest culprit. And that is when we prefer people that are similar to ourselves. And it could be the way we look or our backgrounds, our shared experiences, our common interests. And so what will happen with affinity bias is that you'll invest more time and energy resources in those that you have an affinity with and unintentionally leaving others out. And so if you're a supervisor or if you have the, if you have some kind of role where you're, you know, providing access to whatever these career enhancing opportunities are, you need to be aware that that exists. Another uh, type of bias is attribution bias, and that's the systematic errors that a person makes when they try to find rationale for their behavior their motivations, as well as behavior and motivations of others. And 
So it'll cause people to make more favorable assessments of those in their in-groups, and they'll give their in-groups second chances, benefit of the doubt, and maybe judge their out-groups, you know, more harshly and, you know, with some stereotype. The third type of bias, availability bias, that is the human tendency to, to think that the examples that readily come to mind is representative, more representative than is the case in reality. Let me give you an example. If you automatically picture a man when you're asked to think of a leader and a woman, when you're asked to think of a support person, then you might be more uncomfortable when interacting with a female leader. And that's kind of an extreme example, but there are, there are lots of cases where availability bias comes into play. And the final type of bias is confirmation bias. And that's something uh, that we really watch against in our analysis. And that's an unconscious bias that causes the tendency of people to favor information that confirms their existing beliefs or hypotheses. You know, you hear about this in criminal justice cases a lot, where maybe a detective has a, a theory uh, and just reject, just ignores all the evidence that doesn't fall along in their theory. So then they might wrongfully convict someone. And that's, that's confirmation bias. So just to wrap up, you know, we have, we all have biases, but it's these unconscious biases that we're not necessarily aware of, and it can negatively impact our analysis. And it needs to be addressed at both the individual level and at the structural level. It, Renee, that's fascinating. And so what are some of the prescriptions to, to counter some of that confirmation bias? You know, do we, do we look at and ensure there, maybe it's a, a quality control or a check or a integrity of a one, two, three person check on, on that, uh, that information to ensure that the information is, uh, data is sanitized, making sure there isn't a confirmation bias. Are there other ways? Well, at an, at an individual level, you want to make sure you just ask yourself a series of questions. You know, you know, let's say you have a great opportunity to send someone to a conference. Do you automatically, are you automatically thinking of somebody who's in your affinity group to mm -hmm. give that opportunity to, are you, mm -hmm. Thinking more broadly, stop and, and and ask yourself questions about, you know, are you who you're taking to see a client or whatever it is, who you're asking to lead a project. Am I being fair? Am I making sure that all of my subordinates have equal opportunities for these things that affect career progression? So it's it's just something you have to stop and check yourself. And we all have to check ourselves because we're all guilty of it. That's at the individual level. Yeah, those are that, that's great. And then um Further in the article, the individual and, and really components of the individual strategies that you guys describe that, that interpret unconscious bias. Can you expound upon that? Can you repeat that? Yeah, no problem. So what are some of the individual strategies that you describe in the article that can interrupt unconscious bias? So the strategies are for an individual. Number one is to, you know, be mindful of, any, of snap judgments and ask yourself those questions. You know, start looking for stereotypes, you know, recognize when you're stereotyping. Engage in conversations, build relationships with those who are not like you to help change your mindset. Those are those are some of the individual things that you need to do. Ask yourself all those questions about when you're offering something that's going to affect uh, the career of your peers or your subordinates. And then for, for analysis, we want to have study teams that are diverse. And diversity can mean different things in different contexts, but to get the best results, you, you want to have diversity. And in the article, we provided some examples where um, there was a study looking at the next army boot that, you know, the army needs to buy. And, you know, they had done all these uh, tests and studies, but they had failed to have any females in their test group. And one of the assistant, I believe assistant secretary of the army at the time, 
said, all right, let's go back, redo the test, make sure that you have the same proportion of women in your test that are, exist in the Army. And the results turned out that they ended up going with the, had to go with a totally different boot because women's feet were different enough that the initial manufacturer was not satisfactory. <laughs> I was that, that, that kind of thing, that's a micro example. That was a good one. Excellent. Yeah, I actually just want to discuss further one of the strategies that Renee brought up was the one that I hadn't really thought of. You know, if you just think about what could you do, you might come up with some of these, but I hadn't thought of it was, you know, interact and build relationships with people that that you wouldn't necessarily normally be attracted to. So maybe someone who's totally different than you. And then that'll help you recognize, you know, why? Well, first of all, why is it that I wasn't going to have a relationship with this person? Um, why don't I interact with these people? But it, it can help you identify stereotypes that you don't even know that you have. And, you know, if you're interacting with all sorts of different types of people building relationships, then, you know, you can you can figure out examples of, well, this was a, a stereotype I had about this person or this type of person. And, and they're not in fact this way. So now you have counter stereotypes. And so then that helps you recognize, you know, the next time you're interacting with people, it helps you be more aware. Because, you know, I don't think we're out here accusing people of knowingly being biased. These are all, right, it's unconscious. So you don't know that you're that you're doing it. And so we, we just want to draw attention to the fact that these are things that you might be doing, and you don't even know it, you know, and, and Renee mentioned, you know, who am I bringing? Who do I normally go to if I have a high visibility study and I'm the I'm the manager? Do I always pick on the same you know handful of people because I trust them? But why? You know, maybe I need to think outside of them and give those opportunities to other people because maybe why is it that I'm only ever kind of singling out certain people? Who do I bring to meetings? Or do, does it make me uncomfortable to talk? You know, if I'm a manager, does it make me uncomfortable to talk to one or more of my employees? And why would that be? And, and again, is it because of some stereotype? And so that was something that when we were researching and writing this article really resonated with me. Yeah, boy. I, and those are all discussions. I mean, isn't that interesting? Because, you know, when you look at um, different categories of businesses and whether it's a product base, very focused on a bottom line or return on investment, then that gets back into business roles and responsibilities at the tiers of leadership within companies and boy culturally you know setting the tone for an organization that you know they can confront biases not just confronting biases that are maybe internal but also those biases in the market that you have to navigate around or through to make sure that hey your product your your service line is addressing those needs would you guys agree with that absolutely that's really important going forward yeah boy I, what, what exciting times okay so last question here you guys so i have a 16 year old daughter and she loves math and she is in a program that's is pretty pretty unique, and, and she's in the public system, which is really expanding. It's that I'm seeing at least in the Northern Virginia area, and I think across the country more so, where analytics or the, the emphasis of data management, data uh, in the math, uh, we'll call it the umbrella of the mathematics pathway. Uh, she wants to someday maybe be pursue the world of ops research, and data science. How does she get there? What would you guys suggest is the as the pathway to success for for those women out there that are that are looking to to create their environment of analytics. Well, that's uh, I can't recommend a better field. Um, ops <laughs> research is such a fun yeah. field. Yeah, it's never boring. You're all you're solving problems, and actually, it's quite a multidisciplinary field. So there are a lot of ways you can 
get into OR because there are very few, uh, there's a fewer number of undergraduate programs in OR. There's industrial engineering, uh, mathematics, any kind of engineering. Then there are a lot of different master's programs that you can get into as well, but I can't recommend it more. Right. Sarah, your perspective on that? Well, I'd say, you know, starting out at, at, a, at a young age, I think you can build your curiosity and your interest and in the foundation that is required by, you know, like logic puzzles and problem solving. I think if you've got the curiosity and the, you know, the love of that. I know when I was young, I was really into science. I, I really wanted to be an astronaut. And I just read every book about space ever. Uh-huh. And that made me realize, you know, I definitely wanted to be involved in science um, in some aspect of it. And, and then when I went to, you know, I chose my I chose my college based on the fact that I wanted to do engineering. And so I went to Virginia Tech. And the most interesting of the engineering degrees to me was industrial systems. And I know Brittany and I actually both graduated from tech. And I, I believe we both, she also has an ISC degree, you know, so I would say if you want to be in the OR field, then obviously having the background of the education is important. You can also do mathematics, but I mean, I'm biased towards engineering, particularly ISC. I'd also say it's really important, especially nowadays and going forward, to be proficient in programming. You know, mm. when I've, I've been mentoring a young analyst who just graduated um, from college a couple of years ago, and she just, she had a business degree and she was, you know, getting into OR and asking you know, what, what could she do? What skills should she build? And I recommend programming because I think that that's something that you, you need on a lot of, you know, a lot of the studies that we do at CAA re- require it. And I think it, even if it doesn't require it, it builds the foundation of, again, problem solving, which I think is ultimately what we all do in OR. Great. And Brittley, okay, take us to the finish line. What do you think? I, I'm really excited for your daughter. Um, so I actually, I did go to Virginia Tech, but I actually majored in chemistry and biochem. So my dad is also an ORSA, so I'm carrying on that legacy. And, and that's an aspect of my career that's exciting to me. So I would say the exciting thing about OR to me, um, which Renee touched on was like, the whole interdisciplinary thing, you get to bring your whole self to the table. So Mm. I think it's great your daughter's excited about math. I I love math. Um, I also hear a lot of talk nowadays about STEAM. There's so much data visualization too you can do. So any creativity you can bring to the table, just it's a great field for someone that loves math, but has other interests too. So tell her to pursue those things that are interesting to her and find a way to bring those other talents to the table as well. Yeah, fantastic. And I can't wait to see you guys. I mean, I, I know we're in this period of time I and meet you guys in, in person. I certainly will bring that 16-year-old with me because you guys certainly, through your curiosity, interest, and just absolute passion in your voices of what you guys continuously provide to the community of practices across analytics. And I just want to thank you all so much for joining us today. And again, we look forward to perhaps having you guys in the near future back on. And maybe that's another article you guys produced this year. And we can talk through that or just in general, giving us an update on the, uh, the cop. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just wanted to ask you guys if there's anything important that you'd like to let our audience know about that's coming up that might you might want to highlight coming up in the future. So, Britley, do you have anything coming up? Um, we have our next uh, community of practice meeting in March. I don't know the specific date, but that is Women's History Month. And we have a great guest speaker coming, um, Dr. Jackie Henningsen. And then we have some training professional development that'll come along with that too. Awesome. Renee, anything that you have on the horizon coming up? Yes. So the COP meeting will be March 11th at 2 p.m. We also have uh, our next article will be published in the next phalanx, and that is going to 
talk about more of the structural strategies for uh, confronting bias, and that's uh, looking at things like diversity and inclusion frameworks uh, and scorecards. Perfect. That will work well with what Rob said and lead into a nice part two for this if uh, if there aren't other uh, conversations that we end up having. And Sarah, is there anything that you'd like to share out coming up? Uh, I just want to add to for our comp meeting, it's going to be um, our, our training that Britley mentioned is on assertiveness. So that was one of the first professional development um, requests that we got is how to how to, as a woman to be more assertive. And so we're going to provide some exercises and resources on that. And so I actually think that fits nicely with with uh, with our pillar of mentoring as well. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's Cana Connection podcast on the consequences of bias. A big thanks goes out again to our guests, Britt Lee Brown, Renee Carlucci, and Sarah Stewart. We hope to have them back for continuing this conversation. If you would like to connect with any of them, you can find their social media links and contact information in the description below. If you enjoy the Cana Connection podcast, please remember to like and share it. And if you would like to listen to more Cana Connection podcasts, head on over to our website at canaadvisors.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter or maybe join our community forum to continue the conversation. Until next time, this is Koa Beam signing off for Rob Cranston and the rest of the Cana Connection podcast crew, reminding you to analyze, assess, and execute. And we'll see you next time.